This morning's text is a difficult and challenging one as we come to the 19th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. As we deal with the topic of marriage and divorce. Even though it's a hard topic, it's one that must be addressed because of our call to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. The reality is, statistics show us that, in fact, divorce rates are actually down. Um, if you look at the chart just for a moment here on the screen, that back in 1980, about 22% of marriages ended in divorce. Back in 2019, right, the number was all the way down to right around 15%. While we're excited to see numbers trending down, the reality is that doesn't show us all the data. And so the second one helps us understand a little bit more of what's happening. The truth is, is while divorces are down, there's also the reality that marriage as itself is down. Look back in 1970, just 50 years ago, almost 86% of the adult population was married. We're back in 2019, the same year in which 15% of marriages ended in divorce, there was roughly about 33% of all adults of marital age were actually married. So again, we're seeing a sharp decline. And the question might be, why are we seeing that? And I think several things stand out. One is people are waiting longer to get married. That's just statistically true, right? So there's a less there in marriages. Secondly, right, there's the reality is that lots of folks have begin to live in the unbiblical path of living together prior to marriage, right? And so there's that what's happening. Third, I think even marriage itself is being redefined by our culture. And so the reality is there's a multitude of things that are impacting this statistic. I realize in coming to today that this topic of marriage and divorce, that for many of you it's painful. For many of you, it's a reminder of a childhood in which you grew up in with mom and dad not together and things that you wish you had never seen or heard. For others of you as adults who have experienced divorce personally in that relationship, you're reminded of a time in life of a thing that you wish you could have avoided if at all possible. The reality is that in this room, not everyone has experienced divorce. But the truth is, all of our marriages have experienced one common thing, and that's brokenness. Every relationship in here, every marriage in here experiences hurt, conflict, disagreement, and on and on. And so the reality is this text comes to us today answering a challenging subject, divorce, right? We're going to wrestle with that. But I think it also brings forth the truth that we often miss. And it's this, the truth about marriage. So the reality is both are going to be present in this text. And my hope is, is that grace and truth comes to all of you, whether you're married or have been divorced. Whether at one point maybe you're considering marriage or maybe you're wrestling with, well, why does the culture seem to be redefining marriage and everything that's happening around it, gender, sexuality? I hope and pray that today you leave with this simple truth from the words of Jesus. What God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And while that speaks into the context of marriage and divorce, yes, but I think also it's a reminder to us that in our culture we need to hear that what God has joined together of one man and one woman, let the culture not separate. So there's much truth to be had today, and my hope and prayer is this. We're going to walk through, Lord willing, the first 12 verses of Matthew 19. Just kind of verse by verse, walking through, dealing with what Jesus is dealing with, and then hopefully apply a couple of those things at the end of the message to each relationship in here. So Lord willing, let's do that. But if you would, why don't we pray for a moment? Again, this is a hard topic. I know there's a lots of emotion probably already stirring in the room, thoughts. And so I want us just again to mentor just for a moment of prayer. 
Father, I pray that your word would speak. I pray that your truth, you know in this room the deep hurts that only you can heal. I pray today that your grace would abound unto them. You know today those who are contemplating an unbiblical divorce of walking away from a marriage or relationship. I pray today, God, that they might hear the truth of your word. Father, to all of us here, I pray that this word would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. God, let us, as Jesus says in the last one, to those who can accept this, let them accept it. Father, give us ears and a humble heart to hear your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The 19th chapter of Matthew picks up in verse 1 by saying, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, right? Remember, he's been teaching on forgiveness and, and all of the things that have just happened there. And he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. It's an interesting point in Matthew's gospel. There's a pivot being made, right? As Jesus is, in essence, heading toward Jerusalem, heading toward the cross. And this is Matthew starting slowly to show us the intentionality that Jesus is starting to move that direction. And so we have this moment here. But further, it says that large crowds follow Jesus and he heals them, right? Continually, Jesus, his acts of compassion and kindness being showed. And then this moment in which the text today hinges, verse 3, it's this question. The Pharisees come up to him and look what it says. Their intentionality is it's to test him. And they're going to ask him this question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Right. The question is, right, what is what is the cause that makes it lawful, right, to be able to divorce your wife? That's the question they're asking. You're asking, well, why are they even asking that question? What, what, what do they not understand? Well, look at me, Wood, just for a moment, back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Here's what they're wrestling with, this text. It's actually this verse. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found, this is the statement here, that this is the crux of it they're wrestling with, some indecency. All right, that, that's what we're going to come to in a moment. So he finds that he has found in, in her some indecency and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts, in her, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And he goes on to say more about some of those different relationships, how it's impacted. But that's what they're wrestling with. What actually did Moses mean when he said some indecency? All right, so there, there's kind of two schools of thought, right? There's the conservative school of, of, there's two rabbis in that day that were really like, again, the predominant schools of thought that most folks kind of adhere to, right? And so it was one was the conservative school, Rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, right? He permitted divorce only on the accounts of some type of sexual indecency, some type of sexual immorality, right? And so he said if there was unfaithfulness on behalf of one of the spouses, then that meant you were, that indicated what some indecency was. The more progressive school, or right, the more liberal school, we might say, was Rabbi Hillel. And he said it not only indicated things that were sinful, but things that just, in essence, the husband didn't like. And, and literally, right, this began to include things like if she cooked breakfast and burnt the toast, right, and things you didn't like. It became this place of literally anything, in essence, measured up, right? So some indecency was kind of whatever the man felt was indecent. He had the right to divorce her. So again... Jesus is in a kind of a tough situation. Who's he going to side with, right? The third challenge is this. Jesus, as he enters toward this region of Judea, it's the, most likely the region of Perea. And why is that important? Because in the region of Perea was actually where John the Baptist was when he was preaching against Herod that it wasn't right for him to have his brother Philip's wife. And that got John thrown in jail and ultimately 
beheaded. The hope here, I think, for the Pharisees in this test is either one to make him side with one side of the Pharisees, one side of the school, and divide him with the other. Maybe they can pin him against Moses, or if nothing else works out, maybe they can find a way to get Herod, to get him in the crosshairs of Herod and have him killed. So Jesus is in a test, right? I mean, you think, man, this is a tough topic to hear, to preach, to think about, talk through. Can you imagine being in that moment, right? Jesus is in an intense moment. So let's listen now to how he answers, beginning in verse 4. Jesus answers, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus challenges them, and it's an interesting challenge, right? He says, guys, you guys are, are examining Deuteronomy 24 and all the intricacies of the law. And it's not that that's bad, right? Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's not opposed to the law. But what he says to them here is very interesting and important. He says, in the midst of so studying the law, you've missed God's design for marriage. And the only way to understand God's ultimate design for marriage is to return back to the beginning. To come back to creation, right? Look what he says there in verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then he says, therefore, right? So he's building his basis of his argument back upon what happened in creation. Wow, because I think the tendency is for these people, right, that they can look to the culture around them and say, what's the culture saying? What's the most popular rabbi saying, right? Which one best fits with my lifestyle? Which one do I like to hear the best? I think the reality is we all have to guard against that as well, don't we? I mean, we live in a culture right now at this moment that's redefining gender, marriage, sexuality, all of those things. And here's the temptation for all of us. We can look to the culture and see what we like best. But Jesus says, if you do that, you're going to miss what's most important. And that's not looking to the culture, but looking to God's word and returning back to the beginning here in Genesis. For some of you, it's not just about a culture challenge. This is a family challenge. You're wrestling with things like gender and sexuality and marriage, and it has the names of people that you write on that Christmas present or that birthday card to. You know them well. This is hard for you because there's a lot emotionally and relationally at stake. And I want to compel you and I tenderly in this conversation that we cannot look to the culture or even those we love. We must look to God and His Word. It's hard. This is, cha- this is a challenging topic, right? We're going to deal with some really hard stuff today. I think, but I think what Jesus is saying to us, guys, before we talk about what divorce is, let's talk about what marriage is. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us today, right? Again, often this is a text that people take off and they run to and they have a big divorce conversation. A lot of times people end up mad. People can divide over it. I think first and foremost what Jesus gives us before talking about what divorce is, he's going to talk to us about what marriage is. And I think some important things come out, right? And maybe I'll just throw three of them at you. Number one, I think this. Jesus says that both men and women are created in the image of God. 
Jesus says that both men and women are created in the image of God. Why, why do I say that? Look what he says back in verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them, so God created them from the beginning, made them male and female. What's his basis? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That's what he's echoing. Look what he says in verse 27 of Genesis 1, what Moses wrote there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why is this important for that day in that culture? Because what you have to understand is, remember, it, the question was, Teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? The point was this. Wives had no recourse for divorce. Literally, in that day and time, they were seen basically as property. So for Jesus to now come and say, when his answer starts out with this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus says what you're often doing in divorce is you're distorting the fact that women were created in the image of God just like you were. Jesus is valuing women, right? So again, we live in a culture that wants to devalue everyone. But the reality is, guys, we can look to God's word and find their true value. They're made in the very image of God. This is a moment in which Jesus is saying to us that men and women are created with equal value in the sight of God, but we have distinct roles. Right? A term maybe you hear is complementarianism, right? We complement one another, right? We're distinct in our roles, but we have equal value before God. Kevin Jameson, in preaching through this text, I think made a very important point that just stood out to me. He said the fact is that the Pharisees of that day were some of the most, the biggest violators of divorce. They were often ones that were seeking divorce for any and every reason, especially right, those of the school of Hillel. And he said, we might think of it this way, is that those men were trading wives like men in our culture might trade cars. It was just what you did, right? It either wore out or you found another one you liked better or whatever. And Jesus says, guys, you're distorting the fact that women are created in the image of God. Thus, biblical marriage, God-centered marriage is a place where both the husband and wife are valued. Why? Because both are created in the image of who? God. I think that's the first truth that stands out to us. That would have been radical for that culture. And at times it could be even radical for ours. The second truth I think that stands out is this. Jesus says marriage is between one man and one woman. Jesus says that marriage is between one man and one woman. Look what he says back to verse 5. And he said, therefore, right? So again, that, that, that therefore is huge. I he's going to build his argument. He's building upon creation. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become what, church? One flesh. So listen, I think here's the challenge, right? As we think about this passage specifically, and you live in a culture, right, that you are radically seeing things change, right? Everything, right, from each moment, one moment to the next, almost things are pivoting, 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 right? It's like it's hard to even keep up with the lingo. When I was studying, I was like, man, the lingo from two years ago doesn't seem to almost fit vernacular that's being used today. And so I was trying to think, how do I best speak about this? But I think the truth is that, that many times as we look at this text specifically in the view of a biblical marriage is that people come to it and say, you know what? Those were just the writings of some men. Those were just some men that wrote those words. And, and so, you know what? I, I don't really hold fast to those. I think that we push back with passages like Second Peter chapter 1 where it says that this wasn't just men writing as they felt like writing, but instead the Holy Spirit was inspiring them so that the words they wrote were actually the very words of God. Why is that important? Because I think Jesus now steps onto the scene and in the midst of a culture, right, that we need to hear it as well. 
And might we hear today to think, you know what, maybe, I know that's what the Bible says, but maybe all of these guys that were writing just didn't get right at God's heart. Like, God probably meant something else about one man and one woman, right? We might, we, the culture today might think that. Here is the moment when God in the flesh steps on the scene. So here's the opportunity. If God wants to say, hey guys, you've been misinterpreting and misapplying how marriage should look biblically between one man and one woman, this is his opportunity. But Jesus, guys, instead of reinterpreting marriage, he reaffirms biblical marriage between one man and one woman. This is a huge moment. Again, in a culture where homosexuality is present, Jesus doesn't pivot even to that culture. He shows that, guess what? The view of biblical marriage is one man and one woman, right? That's what he says. Look, he says that, listen, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we have to realize that ultimately homosexuality is an attack on God's design. Thus, though, listen, that doesn't mean that we don't love homosexual people. We love them. We deeply care for them. But in fact, the most loving thing that we can do is to speak the truth to them, to let them know the hope of God's good design. Why? Because anytime, guys, we veer from God and His Word, what we find is brokenness. And the hope, listen, as Christians today, as believers today, I want to remind us our hope is not to win a political argument. Our desire and hope is for all those apart from Christ to be restored back to Him. It's not our job to try to tear someone down and destroy. We want them to know the hope and love of Christ. The next point that I need to say about this idea that marriage is between one man and one woman. For most of us, 20 years ago, this was unimaginable that this would even have to be said today. But it desperately needs to be. And so I'm going to say it. When Jesus speaks of one man and one woman, notice his basis of speaking. This is important, right? Again, there's a lot happening in our culture today that makes this text very applicable. Look what happens here. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The question is, what does he mean by man and woman? And Jesus has just defined it. Look what he said back in verse 4, his, his answer from Genesis 1. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, so this is how God creates people, he creates them, Male and what? Female. So when he says that a man shall leave his father and mother, he speaks of a man who was born biologically a male. And when he speaks of a wife, he's referring to a woman that was born female. Again, many years ago, guys, you would not even think, that, I mean, this wouldn't even enter our mind to even have to make this discussion, but that's just how much your culture's changing. This is what your children and grandchildren are encountering, and we need to give biblical evidence to say, this is what God intends. This is, again, this is why we don't look to our culture, but instead we follow Jesus' example and look to God and His Word. That's where our truth comes from. That's where our views of marriage and sexuality and gender come from. Why? Because we know that God ultimately designs what's best. So Jesus says, I think, to us in marriage here that men and women are created equal in the sight of God. I think secondly, he shows us, right, that marriage is between one biological male and one woman who's been born female, right? I mean, again, I know there's different verbiage being used. But the reality is I hopefully all understand that, the gender they were born. The third truth I think that Jesus shows is this, that Jesus says marriage is permanent. 
Marriage is permanent. Look what he says again, back to verse 5. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Depending on your translation, you may have the word cleave there. There could be some other words being used. The indication is it's a word that indicates like a glue. Right. And so Jesus is saying that marriage is not like Velcro, that like if it doesn't go well for a while, you just kind of pull it apart and both of you go your separate ways. He says it's like it's it's like a glue. Right. That's binding this together. And so the reality is when you go to break that relationship, you start. Right. I mean, you're, you're tearing things. It just doesn't come apart clean. Right. And so the reality is, again, the fact that we become notice what he says here twice to us about what marriage happens. He says we become one flesh. He says it again. He reiterates that in verse six. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. I think Jesus is saying there's many things that start to become one in marriage. Finances become one. Right. Our bodies and emotions become one in sex. Our our families become one. Our futures are becoming one. There's a lot of things that are happening. Right. I mean, that's what he says further to them. Verse six. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I think the permanence in marriage is seeing the fact that it's ultimately God who's done the joining. That's what he says. What therefore God has joined together, right? It's not just simply some preacher being up there or, or some licensed official. So there's something happening. It's God who's, who's, who's this man, this woman have made these vows in his presence. And God is, is doing some amazing, miraculous thing that we can't begin to comprehend where he's making two people one. Thus, look what he says. Since God has joined them together, let not man separate. Guys, separating this union is no small thing. It's more than a lawyer drawing up paperwork or a judge signing off. Jesus says that man should not separate what God has put together. We might ask why. And I think the biggest picture of why is this is because the picture of what marriage represents. Paul in Ephesians 5 says that, in fact, husbands represent Christ and wives represent what? The church. It's this imagery of Christ and the church coming together. Yes, yes, in marriage, right, we're talking not about Christ but about us. There's two imperfect people that are coming together under the hand of God to become one people for better or what? For richer or what? In sickness and what? As long as they both what? Shall live. Yeah. Are there hard and challenging times? Absolutely. I remember it's probably been, I don't know if it's been 10 years ago now. I preached through a sermon on marriage then. And in in preparation for that, I asked some of our senior adults who have been married a long time. I mean, like 50 years, a lot of them plus. And they, man, they just shared such great truth. I'll never forget one of them I was sitting down. I was sitting down with Miss Eula Wright and... We were just having a conversation about a couple things and, and Miss Eula, if you remember Miss Eula, she, she kind of got, she got a little passionate, got that little point toward me. And she said, Blake, I want you and the church to remember this. That in marriage, there is a whole lot of better. But occasionally there will be some worse. That was true, wasn't it? From somebody that had been married a long time, I'll never forget, it just stood out in that moment. Guys, the permanent marriage is that one flesh that we are willing to bear our souls to one another. It's expressed in many ways, but one of the most profound ways, right, is the fact that they become one flesh. I mean, look what happens here. Back in Genesis, right, again, part of what Jesus is building upon, Genesis 1 and 2. He says, therefore, verse 24 of Genesis 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Look what happens in the very next verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One thing we see is that intimacy was originally not a problem. But guess what happened? Shame entered the picture because sin entered the picture. 
But here's the good news, because the reality is for your marriage, my marriage, and if one day you will be married, every marriage has shame and struggle. But just like what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden, he killed an animal. What did he do? And he clothed their nakedness and their shame. What has God done for us? He's done the ultimate, the greatest. He sent his son Jesus to cover our sin and shame by dying our place on the cross. Hallelujah. So guess what? Biblical marriages are a place where there are two imperfect people, but one spouse is desiring to show the other spouse grace and forgiveness to cover the shame because they themselves have first received that grace and forgiveness. Do you see it? It's this moment of hope, a moment of redemption, a moment in which spouses show one another grace. But Jesus shares his truth from Genesis, and they return back to the divorce question, right? They're like, well, if that's the case, right? If you're welcome back to Genesis, then why did Moses write this in Deuteronomy 24? Like, dude, you're, you're answering our question, but we still got some more questions. Look what happens, right? Back in verse 7 of Matthew 19. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I think one thing that stands out immediately is Jesus' correction. Did you hear it? Look what happened. Their question is, they said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? Look what Jesus says, though. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses what? allowed you see the change it's, it's a subtle change but it's a big change like they understood like it was a command anytime that happened doom the marriage is over peace i'm out jesus says it's not a command it's an allowance right why he says moses allows you to divorce your wives but here's here's the reason why this doesn't have to end up that way but from the beginning it was not so this is not what god created for marriage jesus is saying so what brought Marriage or what brought divorce into the picture? Well, look what he says in verse 8. He said to them, because of, here's the reason, your hardness of heart. Again, I don't know if you have a, a study Bible, but I've encouraged them. And it's another place I would just encourage you. A study Bible is just extremely helpful. The, the English Standard Version, the study Bible here that I have in front of me, uh, it just, it's wrote something very helpful about this phrase, hardness of heart. And I want to just share it with you. Hardness of heart should not be understood to mean that only hard-hearted people would ever initiate a divorce. Rather, it means because there was hard-hearted rebellion against God among you, leading to serious defilement of some marriages. In other words, this, we all have hard hearts here. And one of the ways those hardened hearts express themselves, it could be through divorce. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He says to them, because of your hardness of heart, there's an expression right again. So, so don't hear that and think, well, only divorced people have a hardened heart, right? The reality is we all have a heart of stone apart from Christ. Only Christ can redeem that heart, right? Only, only Christ can bring that change. I think that's the hope, right? I mean, that's what the hope of the Old Testament was. When, when, when you hear passages like Ezekiel say, I'm going to remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of what? Flesh. God says, I'm going to change your hearts. Right? I mean, it's the hope of the Holy Spirit, of what redemption can bring. He can change the hardest of hearts in here. I think that has to bring encouragement to some of you because you are in a hard marriage. You're in a place where you think that person will never change. I want to encourage you today and let you know that your marriage can change because God can change any heart. 
And here's what's hard. He's likely going to start first with you. I know, listen, I get it, man. I get it. We all think it's our spouse that so needs to change. But I think what you often find, again, if we want revival, right, that adage has been saying, if you want revival, sit in a chair and draw a circle on it, circle around it until God start right here. I know we think about revival. We think about all those people in the church that need to be revived. They need to be more. Sometimes we think more like us. The truth is that can happen in marriage. And, and so Jesus, I think, is reminding us, letting us know again, there's hope. From the beginning it was not so. Why? Because Christ comes to restore, to bring things back like they were supposed to be. So again, that still causes us to come to this big question that folks often run to. And I hope that you've seen that, guess what, there's a lot more here than just the question on when is it permissible to divorce and ever remarry? But again, that's the question everybody runs to. Jesus is finally going to bring that answer in verse 9. I'm going to be very upfront with you. There are people, pastors, godly men that disagree with how I'm going to interpret this. There are going to be churches that disagree. My call is to rightly divide the truth. I'm going to do my very best to tell you what I believe Jesus is saying here that I think other Orthodox believers would affirm as well. Look what he says, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. All right, there's a lot here, right? We're just going to take some time, unpack it, right? hope you brought your nabs, but it's just time. You need it. So notice what happens here, right? There's, there's, we don't, let's break it down for a moment. So let's imagine just for a moment, right? We'll, take that, we'll bring that back just a second. Let's imagine that for a moment that wasn't there, right? There was no except clause. Then we would, re, we would read it this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus clearly here talking about divorce and remarriage. And he's saying that fact is it can be adultery. They can commit adultery. That's what he's saying there, right? So we, we might say, well, Blake, is that the only reason, right? That they're allowed to commit it. They're allowed to divorce because of adultery. Well, Paul in first Corinthians seven is going to also talk about that. If, if a non-believer leaves, the believer's not bound in such circumstances, are there other extenuating circumstances like abuse, different things? Those are things we're going to have conversations on, right? But let, let's deal with just what Jesus is saying here. Again, this, this message could go on and on. So I want to wrestle primarily with what Jesus is saying here. And so I think the question has to become, right? So if he's saying that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, but there is something that Jesus says there's an exception for. And he says that it's except for sexual immorality sexual immorality is a large like a, kind of a big tent word includes things obviously like adultery and i think adultery is the most clear one of that right that speaks of this of a of a, one spouse stepping away from the other physically with another person i, I heard a pastor jd greer he was he was talking about how, how to understand maybe some of this and and thinking about the permanence of marriage and why sexual morality might be this exception. And I think maybe it was just kind of this, this imagery of consumer versus covenant, right? Think about this for a moment. Maybe it'll help you. A consumer relationship is where you have a need and you look for someone to meet it. So, for example, right, when somebody has a birthday or, or something in your family, you likely begin to look, right? You may look online. You may look at certain stores. But the reality is you're looking at what the product is, what the price is, and you are willing, most likely, right, depending on how quick you need the shipping or how quick you can get it, you're likely to say, hey, you know what, I'd like to get it from there, but if I can get it somewhere else cheaper, quicker, I'll take it from there. That's a consumer relationship. Nothing wrong with those. We have lots of those. But imagine this for a moment. Imagine I take that consumer mentality and now begin to apply it to my kids. And so I walk up to Riv and I'm like, hey, Riv, I just, dude, I want you to know it's just it's kind of not working out between us. It's not you. It's me. I've been hanging out with some of these other kids at church. And, and dude, there's a lot cooler. And I, I think I'm just going to go with them. Does that not seem crazy? 
Why? Because we know that parents and children, we don't have that type of relationship. And the question we now need to ask is this. What kind of relationship is marriage? Is it consumer? Or is it covenant? I think Jesus clearly is showing us the the testimony from Genesis to Revelation is, is that marriage is a covenant. It's God joining two people together as they take those vows for better or worse, rich or poor, and sickness and health, as long as we both shall live until death do us part. The question then comes, well, why then is there an exception, right? I mean, because Jesus clearly says, except for. And I, here's, my, here's my view on it. Adultery, unlike anything else, kills that covenant. Adultery, unlike anything else, kills that covenant, that one union between a man and a woman. To that, I want to say that there are those who I've seen with my own eyes, by God's grace and His great mercy, who have walked through some of the most difficult and challenging days in regards to sexual morality in a marriage. And by God's grace and His mercy, they have forgiven one another. Again, this, this is assuming that one spouse repents, turns away from that relationship, and back to that one union. I've seen the restoration, so I want to hear again, Moses allows it, but it doesn't mean that it has to end up there. There's still the opportunity for forgiveness and redemption. And we would encourage and compel for those of you of walking that hard road to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. But again, Jesus says that there are moments when, guess what? That sexual morality, that, 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 that other partner does not turn from that sin. They continue on or there's been such a break again that the marriage now, that covenant is broken. And so they marry another, and in that case, I believe Jesus says they're not committing adultery. For most of us hearing this text today, we would say, dude, this is really hard. Like, whoa, that's the view of marriage? Like in this culture, we'd say, that's the view of sexuality? That's the view of gender? This is hard. Look what happens here. The disciples say to him in verse 10, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're like, Jesus, if that's the standard, who can live up to that? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. He acknowledges how hard this is, the standard. Again, it's a need of marriages, mercy and grace. Not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those to whom it is given. And look at his answer here as he closes. For there are eunuchs who have been, been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So Jesus is clearly here, again, talking about eunuchs, right? That's, it, that's his refrain here, talking about eunuchs. I'm going to ask Brother Mark to come up quickly and explain to everyone what eunuchs are, right? <laughs> I love you, Bonta. So let's, let's look, right? Again, I, I realize the crowd, the audience, I'm going to be PG best I can, okay? But again, this, this has some variant for what Jesus has just been saying. For there are eunuchs who have been so... Notice he says there are some from birth, right? There's some, some an issue with the reproductive organs, right? Or maybe there's some other issue of why they can't marry. There's another group, he says. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. It's possible, right, in that day and time, specifically if you came to work for the king in his palace, right, you'd become a eunuch. Why? Because the king didn't want to risk you sleeping with his harem and, and corrupting his seed, so to speak. The reality is, given this context, we might also understand that there are some who have been made eunuchs by men. The fact is, their spouse has walked away from them, right? And and some of you are in that place. You're in a place of of divorce and singleness now that you never, ever would have asked for. You never dreamed that you would be there. But man, that spouse just refused and would not 
So there's some that have been made eunuchs by men. Third, he says, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs. And the reason why is for, he says, the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there are some, I think Jesus is speaking here now, of singles. He says there are some folks that Jesus has given, God has given the gift of singleness. Maybe that's for a season. Maybe it's for their entire life. Specifically for, so they can better serve the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus, man, he's dealing with all kinds of things, right? Marriage, divorce, singleness, right? I mean, he's talking about gender, sexuality. I mean, he's, he's covering a gauntlet. I, I'll be honest with you. I've been walking through some of this and I'm like, man, Jesus, take a break, bro. This is hard stuff. I've been asking many of you guys, just pray. I mean, this is challenging, hard. Why? Because I realize there's a ton of you guys, right, in all different areas of life with unforgiveness and church discipline and right now sexuality and now gender and now marriage and now divorce and now, I mean, like there's just this massive list of things. But I think, I hope and pray that you would say, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I'm here. I want to be in a church that won't necessarily always tell me what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. I want to be in a place where, man, they're just going to work chapter by chapter, verse by verse. They're not going to skip over. Because I'll be honest with you, if I was just preaching at random, I'd just skip over that passage and move forward. Because I realize how many people it could offend, make upset with me, create issues. But Jesus doesn't duck it. And I think it's important for us, again, and for, I'm going to encourage you again here. I, man, listen, I know this, this sermon's stretching a little bit, but I just, man, I just will take a few moments. I think it's important why us as parents, as we walk through the text with our children, we can't skip hard text. We need to talk with our kids to the best we can to help them understand and see the truth of God's Word. So might we today live with just a little bit of conclusion or application? First, to those who have been divorced. I want to offer you today some hope. For whatever reason, divorce has been written as this like unforgivable sin. And it's simply not true. It's just not true. I mean, you aren't less a part of God's kingdom because you've gone through a divorce. In fact, we hear the hope story of a hope of a really messy story in the Old Testament. It's one of the King David, this man after God's own heart. It starts out with like voyeurism. Like, I mean, he's watching this woman bathe, right? And, and she, she comes to be with him, even though the fact is he knows that she's this Uriah, this other man's wife. They sleep together. She gets pregnant, right? He tries to somehow cover it up, can't, ultimately has her husband killed. Into that messed up situation walks a prophet and a friend of David. His name was Nathan. Nathan doesn't sweep David's sin under the rug, even though he's the king. And this is dangerous ground for him. He doesn't excuse it, but he still lets David know this, that God is willing and able to forgive your sin. What a moment, right? Think about that. Voyeurism, adultery, murder, cover up. And he says, I want you to know that God can and is willing and has forgiven you. This didn't mean that David's sin didn't have dire consequences, right? That child ends up dying. His son has a coup and what David did in secret, his son does on the rooftop for all of Israel to see. There's brokenness now in David's family for long periods after this. My point is there's a balance. Divorce has unimaginable consequences on children, families, communities, and even our church. Yet God displays that divorce, adultery, and even murder are not beyond his power to heal and forgive and redeem. For in fact, David himself was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Right? I mean, how many more greats there? You get the point. To divorce today, I want you to know that there's hope and restoration with God to be found at the cross. 
Why? Because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Moreover, Christ's resurrection says that God has defeated death and destruction. There's an empty tomb to declare to you there is new life, not to just be had in heaven, but here on earth. Guys, there's hope. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. To the married, I want to encourage you maybe with two specific things as we leave. Number one, guard your heart. Remember what Jesus says? He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed this, but from the beginning it was not so. None of us here are above hardening our hearts toward God or toward our spouses. Today I want to compel you, maybe you just need to say, Spirit, search me and show me some of the areas in which my heart has become hardened toward my spouse. I, some of you, listen, you, you, we all of us, I think we've got to guard against the lies that will constantly come against our heart and mind that if we were just with that person, we'd be happier. Right? Like we just we have to constantly battle against that, like feel like maybe I've never really loved them. Remember, our call again as believers is to represent Christ and the church, and Christ promises never to leave or forsake his church. So I want to say first and foremost, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Secondly, never forget that marriage is God's work. It's a great mystery, right? In some ways, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, that the widow, right, if she is free to remarry, he says, whom she chooses, but that person must be in the Lord. So she's free to marry another believer. So there's a work of freedom of our will, yes. But behind all of that, why we hear Jesus saying, what God has joined together, let not man separate. There's a work ultimately of God, right, allowing your path and your life to come and, and alongside that other person. So guys, let us never forgive forget it's not an accident or mistake god and we taking those vows we become one flesh despite the hardships and frustrations behind our marriages stands a god who has brought our paths and lives together to the married today those in marriage relationships i want to compel you let your marriage be based upon grace and not performance just treat your spouse like god treats you church This is a hard subject, a hard topic. But I think I hope we all leave with this truth as it speaks to marriage and gender and sexuality and many other things. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray. Father, what a challenging text. I, I pray again, Father, specifically. I know there are those here today who need to hear this word for many reasons. Father, I just pray that your spirit would minister to those who have faced the heartache of divorce and feel unworthy or tossed to the side. I pray that they would know there's hope of redemption. That's why Christ came. Divorce is not unforgivable. Adultery is not unforgivable. Father, I just pray that they would rest in that. Father, I pray for those who are in a hard marriage this morning. God, that you would overcome the hard places of their own heart. I pray that you would change spouses. I pray that you would transform marriages for the glory of God. I pray, God, today that you would strengthen families here who are battling the culture or others in their own family whom they love and care about as they wrestle with sexuality and gender and redefining marriage and all those things. I just pray, Father, that they would look to your word to follow Christ's example. God, help us. We thank you for Jesus' victory. We thank you for the tomb that is empty, that has overcome sin and the brokenness of this world. And so, Lord, today, let us as one rise in this place and say all glory be to Christ. I pray this in his name, Lord.
Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.